Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And this, of course, is my favorite edition of the show because that means it is Friday. And here's what's even better. It is Jobs Week. So that is where we are going to be starting because on Thursday, we got initial jobless claims data and nothing too spectacular, but... Initial claims did unexpectedly rise, which, is this it? Is this the sign the labor market might be loosening up a little bit? Probably not, but why not pretend? So seasonally adjusted initial claims were 235,000 for the week ending July the 2nd. That was an increase of 4,000 and continuing claims also increased to a seasonally adjusted level of 1.375 million. That was for the week ending June the 25th. That was a 51,000 claim increase from the previous week. And as I said, this was unexpected because economists actually thought the numbers were going to fall. They thought that the initial claims would fall to 230,000 and there was actually going to be a smaller increase for continuing claims to about 1.32 million. And so who is responsible for the increase in claims? Which states are we going to be blaming here? And not surprisingly, this is usually the case when it comes to looking at jobless claims. The bigger states tend to see bigger swings when you see an increase or decrease. And so, of course, New York, number one, an increase of 5,340 claims, followed by Michigan at just over 4,700, 4, and then California just below about 4,000. So two of the biggest states, California, New York, uh, not surprising they are on there. But who, on the flip side, could have been the reason for maybe a decline? Uh, Illinois saw 1,500 fewer claims, followed by Ohio, which saw about 1,100 fewer claims, and then Missouri, just under about 1,100. So it is jobs week, as I mentioned. So that data is not really that eventful, kind of, you know, a little bit of movement here and there, nothing too big, no real indication of what is happening with the labor market. But like I said, it's jobs week. We got the JOLTS report, which was kind of fun because normally JOLTS report comes out the week after, but because this week or this month, I should say, we are seeing a delay of jobs data, I thought it was just going to be all kinds of jobs data. And so we got the JOLTS report, we got the initial claims, and then of course today, we got the big monthly jobs report, the non-farm payroll. But normally, we also get a big report. Usually, it's on a Wednesday, so it was delayed one day. That was the ADP private payroll report. And oddly enough, we didn't get one. <laughs> and I'm not entirely sure why here. So there was a tweet by a guy named Tom. <laughs> That's all he has. That's all it says in his, his Twitter thing. Trading Thomas 3. He said the ADP National Employment Report for June, scheduled to be released on Thursday, has been suspended while the company revamps the methodology for the data. He then went on to say, let the conspiracy theories fly, fellas. And if you're listening to the podcast, here's where I cue the X-Files music. <laughs> That's if you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube, 
You don't get to experience that, because I don't have the cool mixing effect for the YouTube videos yet, but I will soon enough. There was no ADP report, but I do like the idea of conspiracy theory. So what do you think? Was it because it was a bad report and they didn't want to report it? Because I don't really, I mean, that wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? They're protecting Biden or was it a really good report? And so they don't want to report it because they don't want to upset Republicans or <laughs> I don't even know. Because here's the funny thing. ADP, I think it was, I want to say last year. I think it was last year. Might have been early this year. ADP one month had a correction for the previous month report. And it was like an 800,000 job correction to the positive. So the previous month, they'd said that we'd lost like 300,000 jobs. And then the next month, they corrected it to like four or 500,000 in the positive. <laughs> and, you know, ADP is not looked at with the same grandeur or doesn't have the same gravitas, I should say, that the monthly jobs report has. And so that just kind of cemented it as like, ah, the ADP report, whatever. And so no one was really looking to, because let's face it, the jobs report we get later today is the big one. So I'm not entirely sure why ADP or there'd be any conspiracy theories about ADP because no one really cares about, I like the ADP report. I mean, I'm not going to, not going to hate on it, but it doesn't have the same status that the monthly jobs report from the department of labor has. So, you know, I don't think there's any, I mean, it is kind of weird though. If you think about it, it's like, how long have you guys been planning this? And you just didn't release a jobs report because of the methodology. I mean, you could have said it last week and I don't know. It just seems sort of bizarre, but let's hope when they come back, this report will be stronger. Maybe it'll add a little bit of gravitas to that report and it will be more respected. Only time will tell. Now, there was a, of course, it's Thursday. And so Thursday, we always get the initial jobless claims report. And then we always get a mortgage rate report from Freddie Mac. Now, we are living in a very volatile time for mortgage rates. And so it's kind of funny because, you know, these headlines come out and they're like, here's where rates are today. And then people, you know, they'll call and say, hey, I, I just saw that rates are here. And we're like, no, that's not where rates are. <laughs> I don't know when that report was from. And that's one of the problems when you're just seeing huge swings for mortgage rates is that, you know, these reports come out and it's they're just not correct as to where rates are because day to day and even intraday you're just seeing mega swings all over the place. It's just, it's it's crazy time. There's so many crazy metrics right now. We're just seeing big swings. And so that's one of the problems with these reports, but there was a trend for this week and recession fears did push a lot of money into bonds. And so when people start buying bonds, that pushes the price of the bond up and then yields fall. And you can always, if you want to watch, you know, you can look at mortgage-backed securities. You can look at what's happening with the 10-year. Those are the two best metrics. They're going to give you an idea of what's happening with mortgage rates. Because like I said, looking at these surveys is that the data is usually kind of, right now especially, because of how volatile rates are every single day, it's kind of outdated. And so this report got a lot of attention because of all that money pouring into bonds this week, you know, yields fell. And so we saw the biggest drop in mortgage rates 
in this survey since 2008. <laughs> so it was a big drop. I mean, it's also because rates are so elevated. You're going to see bigger moves like that. You know, it's kind of funny. You ever go back and watch like a good example would be Wall Street from the 1980s. Great movie. Yeah, phenomenal movie. But it's funny in the show or the show, the, the movie, you know, these these big stock swings. It's like five points. 10 points a stock moves and of course it made sense right because the dow was it what was it at then a couple thousand maybe five thousand somewhere around there and so yeah you a, a smaller swing had a bigger impact on the overall percentage but now of course the dow got to over what was, i think what was the peak 36 37,000 somewhere around there and so all of a sudden you know a thousand point swing on an intraday, you know, trading isn't that big. I mean, it, back in the day, I mean, if you go back and look at like, I think it was, was it Black Monday uh, or Black Friday? I can't remember which one it is. In the 80s, when the stock market plummeted, it was like like 800 points or something. It's like you had, um, uh, what was the firm? Was it Rothschild that went out of business? And it was like 800 points. Nowadays, it happens like once a week or it was happening once a week earlier this year. And so, because rates are now at a higher level, you're going to see bigger point swings, but overall the percentage is equivalent to what we have seen in the past. But this is the biggest point swing since 2008, or I should say the biggest point drop. So once again, this is according to the Freddie Mac weekly survey, the 30 year fix dropped 40 basis points to 5.3%. That is 240 basis points higher than a year ago. So still well elevated, but I think at one point we were at 300 basis points higher. So better, <laughs> I will say better. The 15-year fix fell 38 basis points to 4.45%. That is 225 basis points higher. Then one year ago, Sam Cater, Freddie Mac's chief economist, said that, quote, while the drop provides minor relief to buyers, the housing market will continue to normalize if home price growth materially slows due to the combination of low housing affordability and an expected economic slowdown. And I mean, here's the way I look at it with affordability. We talked about this yesterday with affordability at a 40 year low, even a half point drop in rate. I mean, it's nice but that's not really gonna be as big of an impact as say home prices. And so, you know, before when home prices hadn't really taken off and all of a sudden rates drop, you know, right before the pandemic or during the pandemic, that was a huge motivator for people to go out and buy. Cause all of a sudden, whoa, it, it, it changed the whole game. You could, eat, you could afford more house. Um, people who maybe weren't able to buy now were able to, but now we're at a point where affordability is an issue. And so, I mean, yeah, sure mortgage rates dropping is a great thing, but it's not going to be the motivator that it was. And now the big motivator is going to be wages and home prices. And sure, lower rates are great, but we're, we're just not going to see rates go back to where they were. Probably never. <laughs> we're not, I mean, unless something crazy happens with the economy. I just don't see any mortgage rates starting with a two. <laughs> unless you're doing something you know, rates fall and maybe you're doing an arm or somehow a 15 year or something along those lines. But 30 year fixed, I mean, it would something 
very bad would have to happen for rates to get back into the two. So now the real driver of, I think, demand is going to be uh, wages and home prices. Rates, sure, maybe a little bit, but mostly those other two categories. And before we go, I do want to talk about demand um, with regards to housing and the sort of strength of the housing market and the impact that's having on the overall economy. Because there's a great piece over at Bloomberg by Jonathan Levin, who said that housing could be standing in the way of a possible pivot by the Federal Reserve. So we know what's happening with the Federal Reserve. They are raising rates. They're trying to finally crush this inflation. And I've been hearing a lot of chatter this week as we've seen commodity prices drop, uh, most importantly, oil prices. And people are feeling like, you know, and I saw wheat prices fell to, I think, a level that we hadn't seen before the conflict in the Ukraine. And so a lot of people are saying, you know what, maybe this is it. Maybe we're finally going to start seeing a cool down of inflation. And if we do see a meaningful drop, it's going to put Jerome Powell in an interesting position because we're going to have commodity prices falling. We got people, you know, the stock market falling, people running to bonds. And then on top of it, you're going to have inflation falling. And so that's probably going to motivate Jerome Powell to say, you know what, maybe we've reached that equilibrium level, you know, with the economy falling, like I should say. And so we know Powell wants definite proof that inflation is falling. He he's, he's, he's made it very clear that he is okay with going too far on this issue, but he has to have proof that, infl- that inflation is falling before he makes this pivot. And here is where the problem arises with regards to housing. So Levin points out, as Powell said last month, he wants to see a series of reports with inflation coming down before he entertains a change in strategy. A widely followed nowcast from the Cleveland Fed suggests that the consumer price index, excluding volatile food and energy prices, posted a month-over-month decline in June and may do so again in July. A third decline in August would give the Fed a strong excuse to change course. But there's that one factor, and that factor is housing. As Levin points out, saying housing flows into inflation through rents in a category called owner equivalent rent, a metric based on a surveyed estimates of what people think their homes would rent for. As such, reported housing inflation lags market prices by many months. Because of the mechanics alone, housing is likely to keep exerting upward pressure on the index into 2023 because remember there was a lag before we really saw housing having an impact on inflation and so now we're seeing it and so that also means the lag's going to stay so there's a lag which sort of benefited uh you know the inflation number so it wasn't as high as it probably should have been but then when it does start to fall it's not going to drop as low as it probably should because of that lag effect because of housing it took longer for it to make an impact and it's going to take just as long for it to sort of filter out. And so it was you know, great if you're someone, say a Democrat, who didn't want inflation to look too bad. You were glad that housing was lagging, but now you're not going to be very happy because it's going to take a little longer for housing to leave um, an impact 
the inflationary uh, or inflation data. And so because of the mechanics alone, housing is likely to keep exerting upward pressure into 2023. As I mentioned, Levin also points out that that can't happen until market prices actually start to cool to a meaningful degree. So before we can even see the lag or know about it, it actually does need to start coming down. So once we notice that housing prices are slowing, then you can say, okay, now three or four months from now, we're going to see that start showing up in the data. But we're not even at the point now where we're even concerned about that. Like we're, we're still just trying to see data of home prices slowing. So Levin points out that energy prices must also remain under control for the Fed to relax its stance in September. Policymakers typically don't calibrate policy based on volatile food and energy prices, but sharp moves over the past six months have influenced the way consumers perceive inflation, gas prices. That's where people see inflation the most, even though that technically is removed in a lot of the core data. It's hard to imagine the Fed backing down if oil prices blow past $120. So there's a lot that goes into what the Fed's going to decide. A lot of people think that they were late to the party. They did not They did not raise rates as soon as they should have. And more than likely, they're probably also going to be late to leave. And what I mean is that they're going to be late to start lowering rates and making moves in that direction because they want to be sure that the inflation data has proven that it is dissipating. And so housing is going to play a big part of that because once again, housing is like almost a third of CPI. And so even when we do start to see, and I do think it's going to come quick. I mean, we've talked about that, right? A lot of people in housing are saying this thing is going to hit like a brick wall. We're going to go from like 20% year over year gains to like single digits real quick. But even when we see that, it's going to take a long time for that to filter out of the inflation pressures. So it's still going to be putting upward pressure on the inflation numbers, even as we see that data sort of kind of hit a brick wall. If that makes sense, <laughs> I think I kind of, I think I kind of confused myself on that. So just go read Jonathan Levin's piece. Don't take, don't, don't take my horrible analysis of it. Go read it. <laughs> All right. You will be better off by doing that. Okay. We got to go. Uh, obviously today, as I mentioned, we got the big monthly jobs report, I guess, assuming it doesn't get delayed like the ADP report. <laughs> So we'll be talking about that on Monday's edition of Markets and Mortgages. You guys enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll see you back here Monday for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.